to see sports prime time on a Monday. I'm your host, Buck Rising, if you're new to the show. And I'm proud, as always, to be presented to you by somebody who is not new in Middle Tennessee. In fact, Two Rivers Ford has been in Middle Tennessee since 1983, 40 years, just about, in Middle Tennessee, giving you incredible American-made Ford vehicles and award-winning customer service, Two Rivers Ford in Mount Juliet, or online at tworiversford.com. The Ashton Real Estate Group of Remax Advantage, GaryAshton.com, also not new to the fine folks of Middle Tennessee because they live in Middle Tennessee. They work for Middle Tennesseans to create and be a part of this fantastic community. Get the Intel Edge for your dream address without the stress or to sell your home for more at GaryAshton.com. So we in kind of getting ready for training camp because before long, it'll be upon us. We are, what, 22 days away from when all of us report. We will have uh, coaches starting to get into the building. Excuse me, I just knocked my computer out of the way as I reached for my schedule here. So we'll have uh, coaches about the middle of the month. They'll be back in the building. We will have the undrafted rookie free agents, the drafted rookie class, the quarterbacks, on July 22nd, and then the rest of the team, including the media, the vultures like myself, we will be back in the building on July 26th, and then we will, uh, you know, it'll become the rest of our lives until next June when the NFL takes its summer vacation then. So in getting ready for the next couple of weeks and kind of paying attention to, all right, what's the landscape look like around the league? We, we know we've been over the position groups a million different times. We've talked about all the different storylines with the Titans, and we have touched on their roster construction uh, in a variety of different ways. But as we get ready for another season, I think it's important to kind of look around at the landscape and say, you know, there's a lot of different teams that had a lot of turnover outside of just Tennessee. And where do things kind of look like or what do things kind of look like in the, uh, in the new AFC, where uh, some of the best football players have come over from the NFC and made the bracket very, very top-heavy on the Titans' side of the board. So, um, we'll get into this and get this started. And in fact, that's where I would like to start with you. Your Two Rivers Ford take. So, there's 16 teams in the AFC. Where would you rank the Titans' roster, one being the best, 16th being the worst in the AFC. The answer is probably somewhere in the middle of those teams, but we're going to go through these things together because like I said, a lot of new faces in a lot of different places and a lot of them happen to reside in the American Football Conference. So you give me your ranking and I will give you mine momentarily, but I uh, am going to do this right after I tell you about the people who make the Two Rivers Ford take possible, which is, of course, Two Rivers Ford. Now, Two Rivers Ford has all kinds of cool vehicles. Whether you are looking for a new vehicle, they've got the 2022 F-150, the all-electric F-150. Speaking of all-electric, they've got the all-electric Mustang Mach-E that is an incredibly cool vehicle and, of course, fuel efficient. They've got the 2022 Ford Explorer, which I drive, or the 2022 Ford Bronco that you see on your screen. You could go sport mode, or you could go with the any different variety of the full-size edition. And if you're not looking for a new vehicle, per se, maybe that's not in the budget 
this year, but you know you need a new-to-you car, you can get one of their incredible certified blue free pre-owned Advantage vehicles at Two Rivers Ford, a dealership that you can trust, and that is a critical part of the process if you're going to get a pre-owned vehicle. Two Rivers Ford in Mount Juliet or online at tworiversford.com. So, where would you rank the Titans roster among the rest of the AFC team? So, let's kind of take a look at what the rest of the AFC has done this offseason and kind of compare and contrast with what it is that Tennessee has done and what it is that kind of, you know, makes this makeup so critical for the purposes of our discussion. So let's let's take a look at the top contenders, right? The Buffalo Bills are going to be, I mean, they are the Super Bowl favorites in a great many, uh, almost in every sports book that I would look like, the preseason Super Bowl favorites are the Buffalo Bills in the AFC East. So something to keep in mind. Uh, a team that the Titans have had good, good, uh, not good luck. I think that's that's downplaying their success rate. They've had good results. They have been well-prepared every time they play Buffalo, even if last year on Monday Night Football came down to a fourth and short quarterback sneak. You've got the Los Angeles Chargers. Again, these aren't rankings. I'm just going through the list of teams that are competent in the AFC. The Chargers are going to be interesting. Justin Herbert, they've added a lot of new pieces. Khalil Mack now uh, bolsters that pass rush. They've got a couple of additions that they added in free agency as well. You're looking at, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cincinnati Bengals um, as two of the teams who were competitive in the AFC playoffs last year. We know that the Colts are going to be in the mix in some form or fashion. Then there's, you know, wild cards. What are the Baltimore Ravens right now? How much better is a team like Miami uh, working around Tuatunga Valoa to kind of shore up the AFC roster front? You would have to consider the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson. Indianapolis adding a new quarterback as well in Matt Ryan, who is substantially better than any of the players that they have had in that position in quite some time. And where does Tennessee stack up in, among all of these different things? Well, I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty, you know, I think it's pretty telling for a variety of reasons. Now, let me let me say this before I, I'm going to read some of your guys's. Um, and then I'll, well, let me read some of your guys's and see how everybody is feeling about this Titans roster at this point. Uh, on a scale of one to 16, right? One being the best, 16th being the worst in the conference. Where does the Titans roster rank? Kevin Jones on Facebook Live says, I have no idea. Well, that's a, uh, respectfully, Kevin, that's a useless submission. So I'm glad in the time that it took you to type that out that, you know, instead of contributing to the conversation in some form or fashion, you just have to give a number. It's okay. I got to overthink it, bud, but I appreciate you, uh, you know, it's an honest answer, I suppose, but also completely useless for the purposes of our discussion here tonight. Uh, Lewis is pretty high on the Titans. He thinks they're the fourth best in the conference right now. Uh, fifth through eighth, says Patrick Hess. So somewhere, so basically in the top half of the AFC. I think that's pretty reasonable. Will Dodson uh, disagrees. He would put them in, uh, in the 10 spot. Anthony Hill also top 10, but still outside of the top half of the AFC, Sean Gill saying offensive side and the unknown secondary really holds them back. Why he feels that they're a 10 might have the most potential though. But again, I, here's, here's the thing. And I understand that 
potential is going to factor in in some form or fashion, right? We all know that everybody has talented players. Everybody's got dudes, right? And I think so much of this talent kind of catches you up. Now, we're talking about roster talent. We're not talking about how how the coaching staff may or may not maximize the roster talent. We're just simply looking at the talent that is available on the roster, the talent that was added to the respective rosters, and the talent that is returning on the roster. Also, of course, not forgetting who ended up leaving uh, their specific teams throughout the course of the offseason. Now, in the case of many AFC teams, uh, they did they did gain they did gain a pretty substantial uh, they did gain a pretty substantial amount of players. And Tennessee was not one who was a direct beneficiary of that. Robert Woods coming over here from LA does make a difference. But again, you're talking about a player who tore his ACL in mid-November. And while progress has been spectacular for Robert Woods, truly, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't over-exaggerate that if I really didn't think that way. I think the fact that Robert Woods is out there and working, I think that makes a huge difference um, in you know a wide receiver core that otherwise you don't feel great about, or at least I wouldn't feel great about. I don't feel great about them right now, but they have plenty of time to prove me wrong. And we have, uh, you know, it's several months away from the time that they'll be on the field together and take an actual snap. So Willie, uh, Willie Costello says, if we didn't have such a trash OC, we would be really high top 10. Well, Willie, it's got nothing to do with the coaching stuff. I'm asking you simply the roster. Now, obviously coaching matters. You've got the reigning coach of the year in the, in the AFC. And by the way, like, I understand that you guys don't like Todd Downing, or some of you guys don't like Todd Downing. He still finished top 10. Um, it's still a top 15 offense overall. It's still top 10 in most metrics that matter. Um, Goal-to-go situations, they were among the best. They were top 10 in the red zone. Um, they were a not overwhelmingly efficient team, but still found ways to have success. They were the number one seed in the AFC. So let's, for just the purposes of this conversation, remove the coaching. Coaching matters, but let's simply remove the coaching and look at the roster talent that stand before us. And so, if you uh, if you are a uh, if you are kind of going through this, um, if you're kind of going through this, well, let's let's see how this stacks up for me. I'll go through the teams that I have ranked and where I have them ranked in the AFC specifically. I think the best roster in the AFC is the Buffalo Bills. I don't think there's any disputing that. I think that the additions that they made, um, some of them coming from the Titans, but like Vaughn Miller playing in the uh, AFC East this year, joining that pass rush is going to make a big deal. I think Josh Allen is the most talented quarterback in the conference, which is high praise given that Patrick Mahomes also plays theirs. They still have some of the better uh, wide receivers in football. Stephon Diggs still playing at a high level. Dawson Knox, their offensive line is solid, and I think their defensive front getting overhauled this year is going to make a big difference. So Buffalo is number one by a wide margin. I'd say Chargers, too, in the middle of this uh, because Justin Herbert, I think, is hugely talented, uh, especially since he's so cheap, which has allowed them to add players like Khalil Mack, who slowed down a little bit over the past couple of years. He's had some injuries, but still is a uh, is one of the best all-around edge defenders in football when he's right, especially when you pair him with Joey Bosa. You've got uh, you've got a couple of different players coming over. Um, in the draft, for example, they had one of my favorite draft picks, uh, adding Zion Johnson, the Boston College guard, who we talked about a lot for the Titans, to a group that is 
really, really talented. They've overhauled that offensive line. So I would say two is the Chargers. Uh, three, I would look at the, uh, I would look, you know, here's here's where I kind of get up caught up at three because I was between two teams in the third spot. Um, Kansas City or Cleveland. And I'll tell you why Cleveland. Maybe it's fairly obvious to you, but I would, uh, I would say to you that, I would say to you that with Watson, Deshaun Watson, who is likely to be suspended for a full year, but he does, he is on the Cleveland Browns roster. I would give the Browns an edge as the third most talented roster. Again, this doesn't have anything to do with coaching. This, uh, this, you know, you can't. It does not necessarily mean that they will finish third in the AFC. But I think for more than the more that I look at this, I think number three, if Deshaun Watson is to be counted on the roster, I would have to say the Cleveland Browns and then putting the Kansas City Chiefs at four. So we're now four teams in out of 16, the top quarter of the AFC, and no Titans on the roster right now. So you have uh, you have the Bills, you have the Chargers, you have the Browns, you have the Chiefs. All right, so working further down the list, I would say the Bengals in the top five. I would have, I would honestly have the Miami Dolphins uh, up there as well. I would, I'd, I'd say it's probably a tie for six between the Ravens and the Dolphins. So let's go Ravens and then Dolphins for six and seven. Um, and then, you know, Broncos with Russell Wilson. I like a lot of their skill position players. I think that the Broncos have a lot to offer. And again, we talked about Russell Wilson. So that accounts for the top half, the most talented uh, eight teams so far in the AFC. I would say that the Broncos would round out the top eight. And then kind of looking at this, you know, between the Colts and the Titans, it's tough. Because the Titans, I would say, have a more overall, uh, a more overall effective defense. I think that that the Colts have star players on this list, but I think that there's a lot of uncertainty around. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty around what this Colts defense is going to look like. Remember that they lost their defensive coordinator. He is now the head coach of the Chicago Bears. We know that their offensive line situation um, is as fluid as it's ever been, and that's critical because Matt Ryan is a quarterback who is not mobile and can play. I mean, I think Matt Ryan's going to be fine. In fact, I think Matt Ryan's going to cause the Titans a lot of problems, but only if they can protect him. And right now, the protection uh, the protection is difficult. Uh, Dago, Dago, is it Dago or Dago? Aravelo, forgive me. I, I probably just butchered both your first and your last name boss man. But uh, regardless, he says, talent-wise, who do the Ravens have? I can't put them over Tennessee. Well, actually, their pass rush is, is dealing with a lot of unknowns, but the Ravens do that perpetually. Now, that should not that should not give them bonus points, but you know they also have an MVP of the league on their roster at quarterback. They have a, a talented running back in J.K. Dobbins, and they've shown that they can find creative ways to get their running game involved. They've got, oh, who's the Minnesota? Reed, producer Reed, if you would look up for me, the former, I think he was a first round pick, the wide receiver out of Minnesota from the 2021 draft, who I really, really liked 
uh, and did not play uh, a chunk of last season due to injury. If you could put that in the chat for me, Reed, that would be appreciated. Um, but I would say that the Ravens overall, I feel better about the Ravens offense than I do the Titans, right? I don't think that's, I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, I think you can easily put them in over Tennessee. Now, I think that you probably, you get more balance when you look at the defensive side of the ball because the defense is, uh, is changing hands. Justin Jefferson. No, I'm talking about the university of Minnesota, not Minnesota, uh, Vikings Rashad Bateman. Thank you, Mitch case on Facebook live. Rashad Bateman is the wide receiver. Um, now they traded away Hollywood Brown, right? He is now an Arizona Cardinal. Uh, they have their their depth at wide receiver isn't great, but you know it's if you put the Titans and Ravens wide receivers depth charts up against one another, I wouldn't feel great about that either. Their tight ends, I think, I think that uh, so the Mark Andrews is obviously a better player than Austin Hooper or Chigakonkwo at this point in their career. Maybe Chig will end up being something special, but right now that's you can't say that. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of different stuff. There's a lot of different stuff that I would like on the Ravens more than I would on the Titans. And I think it's fine. That doesn't mean that the Titans can't be better than the Ravens. It just means that I think there's a lot there. They, there is a lot more talent. Um, not a lot more, but there is a enough of a difference making talent level between the Ravens and the Titans to put them higher up overall. I'd probably, if you're looking at 16 teams, I'd probably put the Titans at 10 or 11. Uh, I think in the conference. But here's the thing. Now, that may sound low to you. Uh, I think it's fair. I think most of you are probably reasonable about that. I think that I would say 10 because, one, they lost their best offensive player in A.J. Brown, and you're not a better football team without A.J. No matter how good or bad you feel about A.J. leaving, you're obviously not a better football team without the presence of A.J. Brown. How's the uh, acclimation coming along? Um, it's coming along, man. I'm a... Uh... I'm learning as, I, as I'm uh, going. Um, it was a curveball at first because it's a new offense. I have to learn uh, basically some, basically the same words but a different meaning. So, you know, just trying to unlearn a lot of things and, and progress as I go. You were out in public uh, for the Phillies when you threw up the first pitch, uh -huh. as you some other times. What has been the reception from fans, and how is that different from what you previously experienced? Uh, fans in what way? Which way? Coming up to you. Oh. What's that been like for you? And yes. Been different for you? Yes, it's really different here. It's different from Tennessee and here. You know, everybody's in Tennessee, more laid back, but uh, the fans here are very passionate, you know, and they're very excited. And I'm excited too. In terms of the, the program itself, the way things are run, the, the coaching, how are things different here than, than in Tennessee? Uh, not to speak on Tennessee, but, you know, uh, I won't. I won't answer that question. I'm, I'm not trying to throw nobody on the bus or none of that. So, so you know, not having AJ, um, it's it's done, right? You're moving on without AJ Brown, but you're not a better football team without AJ. Royal Wright says, "Thought we were over AJ." Well, yeah. I mean, I think most people are, but it doesn't mean that you can't still that it doesn't still factor into the equation, right? Like, I think that would be foolish. There's a difference between being over the AJ Brown situation and also looking at the roster and saying, "Yeah, it's there. They have a clear and obvious need at wide receiver without AJ, right?" I'm over AJ. Most of you probably, uh, most of you probably over AJ, but you're not better without him, right? Like I think everybody would. I think everybody would agree with that. Now, there's a. Uh, I think there's there's some of this that you would have to look at and say, um, I think there's some of this that would have, you would have to look at and say, well, if he wasn't going to be happy here, then 
it would have it would have it would have been um addition by subtraction you can't have a malcontent on the roster right but i think that's uh i think that that's that's pretty it's it's not any kind of a hot take to say that the football team is not is like the football team is worse without aj brown like i think anybody who is realistic and has looked at what aj brown is and looked at the metrics on AJ and how he's factored in to the roster. And given that he's been a bigger, a, as, as big a, uh, he's accounted for as much offense single-handedly for the Titans as any wide receiver in football, other than Devonte Adams, like in terms of target share in the passing offense, it's Devonte Adams one in the last three seasons. And it's AJ Brown too, right? Because it works. That's the one thing that you never questioned about that. And now, that's obviously in question. Now, I think that Tannehill, I think that overall, you're going to have a more even distribution, right? It's it's a, it's not, you don't have one player who is singularly better than AJ, but you do have a more, you have a wider variety of options to choose from. The talent level may not be high and better, but it can end up working out for the better because if the quarterback is comfortable with the new targets that you have, you would come up, you would go about that and say, yeah, on the whole, maybe it's not as top heavy because an individual player, uh, an individual player is is taking up a lot of that space, right? I think that I think that when you go about that, you have to look at that and say, yeah, if if okay, if you if you spread the ball around a little more, and it's not a high volume passing offense, right? I mean, we all know that they. It, that's another reason it didn't necessarily make sense to pay a wide receiver $25 million a year here um, because you run the ball so frequently. And with Derrick Henry on the roster, there's no indication that that's going to change. So, but if you spread, if you spread that talent around the offense a little more, rather than just having one high end player and the rest of them are just kind of dudes, then I think that can ultimately be net positive for the Titans. Now that depends if Ryan Tannehill and the offense can, kind of get on the same page uh, ahead of this season and we we don't have the answer to that just yet it'll be uh it'll be plenty of time before we see that and we probably won't know the answer to that realistically until October um but I think as you look at this right now I think yeah 10 out of 16 is not I don't think it's unfair um I think that's probably you know I think that's a probably good place to put it now I think they might have the best front four of any of those teams Um, but when you kind of look across the board, I, I'm not, I'm not like down on David Long and Zach Cunningham, but I don't, I think a lot of, I think there's a lot of overhyping. I think they're solid, but I don't think they're great by any stretch of the imagination, but you don't need necessarily great. You just need guys that can play and execute. And here's why the talent conversation, because MB brings up an important point. Um, just kind of scrolling back through some of the comments that I missed. MB says talent can be based a lot on hype. Like, uh, for example, just to look at the Titan, Caleb Farley. We have no idea what Caleb Farley is, but he's got a lot of potential, right? Potential, okay, can you can you quantify potential? I mean, kind of, but not really. And you can't do anything with it until you see how the potential kind of manifests itself into ways that are tangible. Um, but talent can be based on a lot of hype. People don't know our team, he says, so therefore a lot of our players get classified as untalented. You know, I'm not saying that the roster is not talented. I'm saying that there are different approaches to roster construction. And I I think that's 
the kind of thing. Now everybody has, you know, I, you can't do this on an even playing field, right? No, no roster in the NFL is created equal. They're not, while players may be similar, they don't outright have the same exact roster situation in 32 spots across the NFL. And coaching does matter, but for the purposes of this conversation, we're moving the coaching. Because I think Mike Vrabel and John Robinson, and I think the Titans coaching staff are more than capable of getting the best out of a potentially less talented group of players. It's not saying that they're not talented. It's just saying that, yeah, there's probably eight or nine teams who have more talent across the board. It doesn't mean that I don't think the Titans are going to finish like out of the playoffs. Like I don't think the Titans are going to be, I still think the Titans are favorites to win the division. They should be favorites to win the division as long as that pass rush is intact. So I think that, you know, I think that 10th is, uh, I think that 10th is reasonable to kind of look at that, uh, look at that and say, yeah, the Titans are, Titans are an above, uh, slightly above average team in the NFL if not an above-average team in their own conference. And I think that's just fine. Uh, Travis Johnson says, can the local media outlets, I think he means media as opposed to medium, local media outlets start lobbying for another proven vet receiver with you during y'all's interviews with Vrabel and John? I mean, they're just going to tell us the same thing, like lobbying. What am I going to – you want me to text Mike or John and be like, hey, I really think that Will Fuller would be the play here. Like, I really think that that would be – now, maybe you would do that, Travis. Um, if I sent that text to Mike Vrabel right now, he would, it would probably afford, be a four letter word that rhymes with buck that would come back my name or come back my way, uh, by response. If I was to send him a text on Monday, July 4th evening, while well, he's probably out shooting fireworks, uh, you know, I think, I think you, I think you really, you guys really missed out on an opportunity to add a proven veteran wide receiver, Tajay Sharp, who I think, I think he's in Chicago. I'm pretty sure he got a deal. Anyway, like it's willful or nothing really out there. And um, it's not our job to lobby, you know, like if they do it or like I can write why the Titans should add another option, a wide receiver. But ultimately, like, I don't really care if they do it or they don't do it. If they don't do it and it blows up in their face, then I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to break down why they should have done it. If they do it and it doesn't necessarily work out the way that they wanted it to, a.k.a. Julio Jones, then we'll probably be critical of that move too. Their preference right now is to move forward with what they got and to see, you know, who kind of uh, who kind of falls by the wayside uh, when roster cuts come around, when it comes to uh, when it, when we start to get through training camp and you start to see some guys get trimmed uh, or some uh, some players get trimmed, some personnel get trimmed, and then you, maybe you pick up and see who works with your system. But yeah, I. Uh, I don't think the, uh, I, I mean, me, me texting Mike or John and saying, Hey guys, uh, like put them in a group text, send, send them, I'll just send them a picture of Will Fuller. Like just send them a picture of Will Fuller. Be like, Hey, you know, uh, just, uh, manifest it. Right. No, I don't care whether they sign Will Fuller or not. Now, like I said, I think it'd probably help, but if they feel like they've got the group that they got, you know, I don't think that they are a beyond reproach as an organization, like, I think there's still plenty of reasons to ask questions, but more often than not, they've earned the benefit of the doubt. And like I said, like, if they do it or don't do it, I don't care. I know why you guys care. I understand. I completely understand why you guys would care, but it's not, you know, my job is not to be like, Hey guys, 
I really think if you were taking my advice, let me go ahead and just put my GM hat on at the next John Robinson conference. Be like, John, I think personally that what Will Fuller brings in terms of the ability to shift the secondary just by nature of having a straight line option down the field, I think that would make a world of difference for your offense. And I think John Robinson would look at me and be like, yeah, I don't give a shit. <laughs> and we would move on in the press conference. Uh, except he would say it more diplomatically. And then when the microphones were off, he would say, what the hell are you talking about? Don't ever say that shit to me again. Such is life. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, Derek R says, have PK say it to Mike. I want to see the chaos. Yeah, see, that's, that's kind of the different, like, because <laughs> see, here's the thing about press conferences. Um, and then, you know, not, we won't do too much inside baseball tonight, but then we'll move on to talk about some trade trials. Um, I don't think, I think that, you know, Paul asks important questions. I think everybody's got a style, right? Um, and you know, some people don't ask what would be considered difficult questions. Some people do. I think Paul does at, is, is willing to ask difficult questions, which is an important part of the job. I also think Paul's tone ruins the ability to get a legitimate answer out of the important question that's being asked because you know Paul Paul his intention is correct I just think that the approach is horrendous and at a certain point you would think cuz I mean Paul's been doing this Paul I think I think was with them even when they were in Houston uh covering the team you would think at some point the bedside manner would get better, but, uh, you know, it hasn't thus far and the chief keeps doing what he's going to do. And, you know, Rex road, I think is good at asking important questions, difficult questions that need to be asked. I think Tehran is best, uh, is best at asking schematic, like not schematic questions, but understanding what the players are being asked to do and asking it in a way that will bring about a football answer from the coaches and, you know, I think that uh, I don't I don't go to press conferences every day the, the way that I used to, but I think that my approach has always been, well, okay, tell me your side of the thing that I have questions about, and then I'll take what I can from that, if you're going to give me anything on that. And most of the time, um, I would say, I'd say probably 90% of the time, uh, just because, you know, I'm not going to ask a question like a jerk. I get a I get a diplomatic answer and it will help me kind of understand the thought process even if they're not going to give me, you know, even if they're not going to open a book and and write me a full, you know, dissertation on why it is that they did x y and z uh after a game or in a practice or whatever the case may be. Um so I think everybody has their own approach. But yeah, you know, I think I think that either Paul should have to ask quest ask his questions at the end of the press conference so that Mike can't get pissed off in the middle of the press conference and ruin it for the rest of the media core contingent or, or, you know, at some point adjust the bedside manner, but you know, uh, I, I, I love him to death. And I hope, I honestly, I honestly hope he never changes. Uh, Jeff Sawyer says Buck acts scared on his questions. I think, I think early on for sure. Early, like in my first couple of years with Mike Malarkey, I almost never asked questions at press conferences. Um, cause that was my first year and I, you know, I had zero experience covering a team. I was 22 years old. Uh, I was terrified of just, I was terrified of looking like an idiot. Um, so I did not want to open my mouth for a while. Now I think at some point, you know, just get over it. You chicken shit. 
and ask a question. And then, you know, if it blows up in your face, then it's a good learning example. And I've had plenty of those. I th- hell, I've had plenty of those with Rabel. Um, but I think that in Malarkey's first year, I almost never asked press conference questions. I think in Vrabel's first year, it was a still kind of a weird dynamic because, you know, you're still at an age where Mike's old enough. Mike and John are kind of old enough to be your <laughs> kind of old enough to be your parents. And you're like, oh, this kind of reminds me of talking to one of my buddy's dads or something like that. Um, now, if I don't have a question or if I don't think a question is necessary, then I don't necessarily think it's like, I don't think it's important for me to ask a question at every press conference if I don't have a pressing question. Because I think a lot of times people just got caught up in, you know, needing to hear their own voice or needing a clip for their own specific outlet and they need to have their voice on it, whatever. I think those things kind of bog down press conferences. Um, but since then, I think every once in a while, Ma- Michael catch me slipping and like, you know, rough me up. Uh, you know, I, I, it's, a, it's a much more comfortable experience. And that's what you're looking for. You're just looking for a, you're looking for a comfortable working dynamic between uh, the people who you're trying to get information from for the purposes of you guys and for, you know, for the rest of that. Uh, but yeah, every once in a while, uh, I think, I think once every once in a while, Mike can, uh, Mike can bite your head off and that's a good learning experience. Um, because sometimes, sometimes you're in the wrong every once in a while though, you know, uh, Mike, like I said, he is, he gets the benefit of the doubt and he's done an incredible job since he's been the head coach here. Um, but also you can't, I think it's important not to get moved off of your position just because, you know, he turns into the big bad wolf all of a sudden and he's huffing and puffing up at the podium and fidgeting with uh, fidgeting with tape recorders and rolling his mini American flag up with like as a, like a stress ball because it just happens to be sitting there by the mic and he's just twisting the thing and torquing it because he's imagining it. That he's imagining that it's uh, it's that it's Kaharski's neck or something like that. <laughs> it's a good time. Anyway. Uh, trade trials. Let's talk about it here on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter, and Twitch in the comment section. I think this is the way that we need to go from here, which roster loss, uh, or rich, which recently traded player will his former team miss the most. Let me know on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch, the options, AJ Brown, Tyree kill, or Devonte Adams, which of those three players who was traded away, uh, do you think will miss their former team the most? We will talk about it together in the comments. And while we do that, I will tell you about our friends at the Ashton Real Estate Group of REMAX Advantage. GaryAshton.com, that's where you go for your dream address without the stress. The Ashton team is going to put you in the best position to succeed. They're going to do that with the Intel Edge that only the Ashton team can provide you. That Intel helps you sell your home for more. It helps you find a home while you're looking to sell your current one, even in a red-hot Nashville real estate market. It helps you win the buyer battle and cash in on your home equity right now. That's the kind of Intel that the Ashton team can provide to you, only the Gary Ashton team of REMAX Advantage at GaryAshton.com. So, which recently traded player will miss his former team the most. So AJ Brown, Tyree killer, Devonte Adams, who do you think is going to miss their current situation or their former situation most in their current spot? You know, I think, uh, I think AJ is going to have a bit of a rude awakening, awakening. Um, 
Jalen Hurts is not anywhere close to as good a passer as Ryan Tannehill. I think there's going to be some growing pains there, but I think ultimately that that offense is really good. And I think Nick Sirianni's, he, I think Nick Sirianni understands his personnel well to where they'll be able to put together a competent offense. It may not be the best. It may not be, you know, explosive as far as the passing game is concerned. But I do think uh, I do think that AJ is going to have a little bit of an adjustment to make because he's not playing with a better quarterback than he was previously. I think that Tyreek Hill is also in a situation. All three of these players are in a situation like that. You have uh, Tannehill to Jalen Hurts, not a better situation. You have Aaron Rodgers to Derek Carr, not a better situation. You have Patrick Mahomes to Tua Tonga Veloa, not a better situation. But I think ultimately Devontae Adams may be the one who misses his former quarterback the most, even if he's playing with his college best friend in Derek Carr. What's going on, folks? How we doing? Devontae, you and Derek had made it pretty publicly clear that uh, you would you wanted a reunion at some point. Um, yeah. But when did this become more of a wish and more of a reality um, in this process? Um started to become more of a reality, I think, once we got uh, after the season, obviously. It was something that we didn't even entertain during the season because we both had to focus on trying to win a Super Bowl. Obviously, that was um, A number one. But once the, once we wrapped up the season, you know, started communicating a little bit, um, still didn't really fully dive into it because we kind of wanted to decompress from the season, allow each other to, you know, put our thinking caps on a little bit and see where we were. And then, um, you know, as things progressed a little bit more, obviously, we communicate – um, you know, multiple times a week as it is, you know, aside from even trying to team up. So um, once we got to a point where it was it was something that could be realistic now, it's not just a, you know, a thought. Um, we started trying to put a, a little bit of a plan together. And, um, you know, obviously I was still going back with Green Bay at that point and still, um, you know, weighing my options. But um, I think we got to a point where uh, I felt like it was a it was it was a good move for us. And, um, you know, obviously I was traded, so it wasn't wasn't just strictly, um, you know, on us, but um, from, you know, I grew up in East Palo Alto, so being, I was a Raiders fan my whole life, so it is a dream to be a Raider, man, so it's a, it's a it's dream come true. Um, in the third grade yearbook, I said I wanted to be a, you know, an NFL star or an NBA star, and I was wearing a, a Charles Woodson jersey at the time, so it's been documented forever, so, you know, I, could, I guess you could say it's meant to be. So, like we said, all three of these guys went to uh, lesser situations, letter, lesser quarterback situations, to be specific, um, here on A to Z Sports Primetime. By the way, if you are uh, hanging out on YouTube, please uh, make sure to like the video before um, we wrap up the show this evening. It would be greatly appreciated if you would do so. Uh, but yeah, I think all three of them went to went to worse quarterbacking situations, and I think you know some of that is some of that's the name of the game, right? People are going to overpay to get better players to help a worse situation get better. Um, I think that's the case for all three of these guys. But I do think I think that Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, that's that is something that is going to that's almost impossible to replicate, right? I really do think. Now, Derek Carr and Devontae Adams clearly have a good relationship, and that's going to go a long way. Um, AJ and Jalen Hurts have a strong relationship going back to the 2019 draft. I believe both of them came out in 2019. 
if memory serves correctly. Either way, they had a good relationship in college, and that's something that they're going to get to capitalize on now. And, you know, I mean, Tyreek Hill, <laughs> Tua is, uh, I, I don't think much of Tua as a, as a quarterback specifically, but who's to say that Tyreek Hill isn't, uh, isn't going to be used creatively enough that would mitigate how good Tua needs to be. I think that Mike McDaniels, um, in Miami, the head coach, the former San Francisco 49ers offensive coordinator. I do think that's going to make a difference. All right, let's wrap this up with this is a free site. The best thing that I saw on the internet this week. Um, the question that I'm going to ask you, it's simple. Yes or no. Is competitive eating a sport? Yes or no. Joey Chestnut, again, dominating. It was disgusting. I can't watch this stuff. I barely want to watch the video itself. But I just need a yes or no from you on this July 4th. Is competitive eating a sport? Next to Uncle Sam, that man, Joey Chestnut, might be the most recognizable 4th of July personality in America. He is hobbled, but he is able. 14 times the national famous, Nathan's famous international hot dog eating champ, an appetite for more. George takes us home with Joey Chestnut. Wounded, but very much alive, Joey, with another title. Holds in that last one. The final dogs get counted up. Wash it down. Joey Chestnut unofficially. 63 hot dogs in bun. A winner by 20. Title number 15 for the greatest eater of all time. 15 straight or 15 titles total for Joey Chestnut. One of the greatest champions that we have. More titles than Tom Brady. More titles than Michael Jordan. More di more titles than, I mean, than, I mean, double Michael Jordan's titles. Damn near double Tom Brady. In fact, double Tom Brady's titles, right? Brady has seven rings, I believe. Um... Seven or six. Either way, it's more. It's more than anybody. He's the greatest winner across winning that we have, even if what he does uh, is disgusting. So, yes or no, is it a sport? Nikki, uh, Nika, rather, all caps, no. <laughs> Flatly no. Nika probably feels the same way I do watching people eat. Tina on Facebook Live agrees. No, competitive eating is not a sport. Derek R says, yes, in some weird way. I mean, listen, uh, I I think that uh I think that it is competition and competition is sport I guess that's I mean chess is competition would you consider chess to be a sport like it's <laughs> there is a significant difference in terms of the high mindedness that one has over the other in the case of chess versus hot dog eating but still, it is competition. And so I think in the world of competition, it would have to be sport. So that's how I feel about it, even if I refuse to watch it, because it is absolutely gnarly uh, to see, you know, not just 60-some-odd, uh, what's his record, 76 hot dogs. And, he's you know, he's he's like liquidating them with a gallon of water so that they go down. He's just like a hot dog slushy. Just foul. Can't Can't do it. All right. That's a great way to end our 4th of July show. Thank you guys for spending your 4th of July evening here. Now go out there, shoot some fireworks if you want to. Um, you know, I'm anti-firework, but it doesn't mean that you should be. Can't stand them. They're going to drive me crazy all night long, but I hope you have a great time with them. I hope you have 
a fantastic rest of your evening. We're back on the radio show tomorrow. It's going to be a great time from 10 to 1 on 104.5 The Zone. I don't know what the hell we're going to talk about because there's no sports right now, but we'll figure out and we'll have fun together. See you guys.